ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय भगवत गीता वी एसिस्ट बाय हिज डिवाइन ग्रेस टू लाइस ही भक्ति वेदांत स्वयं प्रभुपाद फ्रॉम द आचार्य ऑफ इस्कॉन chapter 9 text number 2 well it would have been useful to learn a language but i didn't learn that either i say vetnache this knowledge is the king of education the most secret of all secrets it is the purest knowledge and because it gives direct perception of the self by realization it is the perfection of religion it is everlasting and it is joyfully performed this is a very long purport i don't have much time because i have to go catch a train so i'm just going to read two paragraphs and then comment on it this chapter of bhagavad gita is called the king of education because it is the essence of all doctrines and philosophies explained before among the principal philosophers in india are gautam kanad Kapila, Yagyavalkya, Shandilya, and Vaishvanara, and finally there is Vyasadev, the author of the Vedanta Sutra. So there is no dearth of knowledge in the field of philosophy or transcendental knowledge. Now the Lord says that this ninth chapter is the king of all such knowledge, the essence of all knowledge that can be derived from the study of the Vedas and different kinds of philosophy. It is the most confidential. because confidential or transcendental knowledge involves understanding the difference between the soul and the body and the king of all confidential knowledge culminates in devotional service generally people are not educated in this confidential knowledge they are educated in external knowledge as far as ordinary education is concerned people are involved with so many departments politics sociology physics chemistry mathematics astronomy engineering etc there are so many departments of knowledge all over the world and many huge universities but there is unfortunately no university or educational institution where the science of the spirit soul is instructed yet the soul is the most important part of the body without the presence of the soul the body has no value still people are placing great stress on the bodily necessities of life not caring for the vital soul the theme of this is what is it the knowledge of india the treasure the treasure of india because there used to be so much treasure in india people think india is a very poor country but the british the dutch the portuguese the french they were all very anxious to go to india why to loot the place and the british did a pretty good job of it but the real treasure they didn't get which is the knowledge which is propagated there now if we're to speak about knowledge there's no such thing as indian knowledge or french knowledge or austrian knowledge knowledge is knowledge facts are facts just like 2 plus 2 equals 4 Now if this is taught in the school in India that doesn't mean it's Indian knowledge 
or if it's taught somewhere else, it doesn't mean that it's if it's taught in Austria, it doesn't mean it's Austrian knowledge. What is a fact is a fact, universal principles. So knowledge of the soul and of God, these are universal principles. But it's a very highly elevated subject. It may not be taught everywhere, just like certain kinds of knowledge are only taught in the university. In the schools, they teach 2 plus 2 equals 4. They don't teach atomic physics. In fact, to study some branches of knowledge, it's so highly specialized that you may only get it in one or two universities in the whole world. You have to go, it's very, very specialized. So that if someone, for instance, if they wanted to study some, uh, I don't know, something very, very specialized, like the uh, uh, radiation in atomic fields as perceived in outer space or something like this. I'm just making it up. They may have to go, you can't just study it anywhere. You can't go to any university. You'll have to go to the specific place where that is taught. Now, within this universe, this knowledge of the soul has specifically been taught generally in India. That doesn't mean that the knowledge is India, because knowledge is knowledge is knowledge. But by the arrangement of the Supreme Lord, that so by the arrangement of the Supreme Lord, that knowledge has been particularly propagated in the land which we presently known as know as India. Now, there are many different philosophies which were taught in India. Nowadays you won't find much in the field of actual philosophy in India. You'll find probably the people in India know more about, at least some people, they know more about Michael Jackson than the people here. And they know about cricket and cinema Unfortunately, that great culture is being destroyed. But traditionally, India was a land of philosophy. These, um, there are great acharyas, great spiritual teachers, those who are our devotees who study. We have these classes every day, twice a day. So those who are our devotees regularly studying here, they know the names of Shankaracharya, Ramanuja Acharya, Vallabha Acharya, Madhva Acharya. These are great teachers. Uh, they were living at various times from about 700 years ago to about 1500 years ago. And their influence is still very powerful. They set up many monasteries and uh, many people even today are followers of their teachings. So these great teachers, they propagated their philosophy by walking from place to place. In those days there were not trains, TVs, all these things. So they would go from village to village and in every village they would stop and speak about this knowledge. And in, in every village there were people who were highly cultured and intellectual. They were called the Brahmana class. And they were deeply involved, they deeply studied, trained from birth in that. So when these Acharyas taught this knowledge, they were able to receive it. Just like, if we same example, knowledge, if there's a breakthrough in atomic physics, who will that be spoken to? That won't be spoken to everybody. That will be spoken to those who already have some background of that knowledge. So that knowledge was traditionally spoken in India, but it doesn't mean it is India. We're not, actually, in our Krishna consciousness movement, 
we're not promoting Hinduism. Sometimes people think, well, Hindus. In one sense, that could be said, because from the external point of view, if you examine, it appears that we are Hindus. Because, actually, if you were to say what a Hindu is, it's very difficult. Jawaharlal Nehru, the first Prime Minister of India, he was famous as a... No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, Nehru, he wrote. He was uh, famous also as some kind of... Uh, was it Nehru or Radha Krishna? I think Radha Krishna, the first President of India. He defined what is a Hindu. Someone who lives in India who is not a Muslim, a Jain, a Sikh or a Christian. So definition by negation. He couldn't positively say what it is. Because there may be so many different opinions within the group of people who are known as Hindus. And actually this word Hindu, you won't find in the Bhagavad Gita or in any of the Vedic literatures. It is a relatively modern word which was given by the Muslim invaders when they crossed into the land we presently know as India. They call that land Hindustan. Because to cross into that land, they had to cross the river Sindhu. And in their language, there is no S sound. So they pronounce S as H. And the name came out Hindu. So it's a modern word given by Muslim invaders. Now you'll find in India there is a, what is called a Hindu revivalism. And there is a saying, Garv se kaho hum Hindu hai. Say it proudly, we are all Hindus. But actually, what is a Hindu? No one can say clearly. Therefore, in Krishna consciousness, although we accept that sociologists or journalists, for the sake of, for their sake, for classifying us, they may say that we are Hindus. But actually, this Krishna consciousness is on the spiritual platform, which is beyond any mundane designation. Everything in this material world has got some designation, just like you will say, uh, I am a man, or I am a woman, I am Austrian, or I am British, I am educated, or I am uneducated, I am 40 years old, my mother is a scientist, or something. We have so many designations by which we classify ourselves and which by which we try to understand ourselves. But the knowledge that is spoken in Bhagavad Gita is knowledge of the soul, by which we understand that actually we're not Austrian, we're not man or woman, we're not 40 years old or whatever. We are spirit soul. We are not the body. These labels apply to the body. Because this body was born in Austria, because it happens to be of a particular gender, because it was born a particular number of years ago, we say, I am Austrian, I am a man, I am 40 years old. But this is only pertaining to the body. The soul is neither Austrian, nor German, nor British, nor even human, because the soul is within every living being. And the soul is eternal. It's not 40 years old or 50 years old. And the soul is not male or female, at least as understood, within the material sense. So this knowledge, this is knowledge of the soul, which is beyond designation, such as also Hindu, Muslim, Christian. Because if we're speaking of knowledge of the soul and knowledge of God, 
then God is also not a Hindu or a Muslim or a Christian. It's not that, as some people think, that you have to join a certain church, only then can you go to God. When you come to heaven, God is waiting. Are you a uh, Episcopal, Anglican, Baptist, Reformed, Methodist, United Church member? Yes, okay, come in. And anyone else? Go out. Go to hell forever. It's not like that. That you have to have a particular rubber stamp on your head. I am a Hindu, or I am a Muslim, or I am a Christian. You see, my mother's family is from Belfast, where they're fighting so many years, Protestants and Catholics. So the Catholics say that if you don't believe in the Virgin Mary, you go to hell. And the Protestants say, if you do believe in the Virgin Mary, you go to hell. So it's very difficult to wonder that what to do. You know, if, I, if I flip the coin the wrong way, I'm going to, how can I tell? I go, I'll go to hell forever. So on one side of the street is the Catholic Church and the other side is the Protestant Church. I was thinking, maybe I should stand in the middle and when God comes, I'll see what side he goes and then I'll rush in the right church and I'll be saved. But this is not scientific knowledge of God. This is fanaticism. That people, without knowing what is God or what is the science of God or what is the meaning of the soul, they invent so many things that you have to be a Hindu, or you have to be a Christian, or you have to be a Muslim. But actually, who is God? Is God, a, is God a Christian? Or a Muslim? God is as He is. He has His specific characteristics and nature. He is not subject to the mundane designations which we put on Him. So in the same way, Krishna consciousness is not Indian, although it may appear to be so, because on this planet, it is that knowledge has traditionally been taught within India. Although actually this knowledge is taught all over the universe. Nowadays we have the idea that the universe, there are so many planets and stars and they're all vacant and only by chance there is life on this planet. But we do not subscribe to such foolish theories. We understand that this world has come into being by design. It's not just by chance. Some people say, well, if there's enough chances in the creation, then the, earth, the life as we know it on this earth could come into being. If there's enough chemical reactions going on. But just like this microphone, can you imagine that if there was a big pot of chemicals boiling for millions of years, a microphone would ever come out of it? Can you imagine by chance the chemicals would react in such a way to produce a microphone? No. The chemicals, the substances, have to be manipulated by a higher intelligence. Then only can they come out in this functional form. So if we see the whole universe, it's infinitely more complex than a microphone. Even the most simple cell within our body is far more complex than a microphone. Then how can we imagine that the universe, which is acting so uniformly, is going on simply by chance? So... We understand that it's not by chance, it's by design, there is a designer, and there is a purpose. Just like if someone invents some machine, and you are, it has so many wheels, and cogs, and pulleys, and spindles, so a very complex machine, then if you ask the person who designed it, well, what does the machine do? What is its function? And he says, well, no function, it's just a machine, that's all. 
And, well, no one would make such a thing, and if they did, they'd be crazy. Why should you go to the trouble of making a machine that has no function? So in the same way, we see so much design in the universe, we don't think that there's no designer, and we don't think that there's no purpose. Definitely there is design, and there is a purpose. So God didn't create all the stars in the sky so that lovers can hold their hands and look at the sky and say, oh, how nice. That is not the purpose of all the stars in the sky, so that poets can write poetry about the beautiful moon. Every planet has got living beings. Now they say they're going to Mars. We don't believe them, just like we don't believe they went to the moon. They say we had a very cheap trip to Mars, only $20 billion. And, uh, and, uh, and they say, oh look, it looks just like the Arizona desert. How strange. So we think they made some nice photographs of the Arizona desert for only $20 billion. There's some, there's some cheating going on there. Anyway, there are from the Vedic literatures which are given by God, which are knowledge of the creation given by God, just like when you buy a microphone, there is a manual which comes with it, isn't it? Which tells you what is its function, how to use it. If you don't know, you might think, what is this for? You know, you never saw a microphone before. So maybe it's for hitting people on the head with, maybe it's for stirring the soup. You could use it like that, but its actual function is to amplify sound. So how to use it, there is a manual which tells you you have to set it up, this thing plugs in here, you have to plug it into the electric socket, check the earthing and so many different things. So in the same way, with the creation of this world comes a manual which describes what is the function of this world and how to live within this world so as to execute that function. That knowledge is the Vedic literature that is given by God just as the manufacturer gives a, a manual with the microphone. So the manual for the universe given by the manufacturer of the universe are the Vedic literatures which describe what is the purpose of life and how to attain it. So this Vedic knowledge is spoken all over the universe it's not just on this earth planet, uh, especially there are many living beings in higher planets who are dedicated to understanding this knowledge. Traditionally on this planet, it has mostly been spoken in India, but now it's being spoken in Austria and Germany and Denmark and Russia and China and Japan and so many different places. And sometimes people are surprised to see that how are people from Austria taking up this culture, which appears to be an Indian culture. But the answer is because it's not Indian. Why should an Austrian want to become an Indian? Actually, it's, more, it's around the other way. If you go to India, you'll see at the American, the American consulate, there are four. One is in Delhi, one in Calcutta, one Madras, and one Bombay. And there are long lines of people queuing up every day to be told, no, you cannot come to America. And a few of them can go. They want to come, they want to go to America because they think it is a better situation for material enjoyment. We can earn money more easily. So in the same... So Indian people, they want to go to America. But American people, why should they want to become Indian? Now, they may want to take up that culture because it has the spiritual culture is there for a higher purpose. Otherwise, from the material point of view, 
there is no reason, just like we were discussing today, these kind of clothes, they may not be very suitable in the cold climate of Austria. But we are wearing these clothes because they represent a culture. We have taken up this culture wearing tilak. People ask, why do we wear this? Because there are different reasons, but one reason is this shows that we have dedicated ourselves to the devotion of Krishna. We wear these clothes because then we identify with this culture of Krishna consciousness. So we have taken this up not because we like to become Indians, but because we want to understand what is the absolute truth. This verse describes Raja Vidya. This is the king of all kinds of knowledge. Now we find in the that in the Western countries there is a very elaborate system for imparting knowledge and you'll find everybody is educated. Previously, the people living in the hills in Austria, they were not educated. They simply they knew how to cut wood, make a fire, milk the cows, make cheese, and all these kind of things. But now, with the spread of modern civilization, everybody, even if they live in a very remote farm, everybody is educated. And there's a very high standard of education. So, people are educated, but naturally, if you're educated, the question will come, well, what is the actual purpose of all this education? What is the goal of knowledge? What is the purpose of life? Once, you're, once you start to think, in the school they teach you how to think, but once you start to think, you will want to think, that, what is the actual purpose of life? Now, of course, in modern society, they have very expertly diverted people away from this kind of philosophical thinking by giving gross sense gratification. They, everybody, even though they're very intelligent, they watch TV, which is called the idiot box. In German, is it called the idiot box also? Do they, call, do they say like that? They say also? Yeah, because what, what they show you on TV, it's only suitable for idiots. Uh, and if, if you watch it, then... You, You'll, you may become an idiot also. Of course, they have educational programs and this and that. But mostly, what are the most popular programs? Things just like if there's a football game. People become very interested to watch this. But then, what is that? It's a group of grown men running around after a, after a ball. Which is, you know, it's alright for children. You can understand. But for grown men, you'd think they have got something better to do. And spend actually millions of dollars on these on these. In, in, uh, now they spend, if one football player goes from one club to another, they have to spend millions of dollars. So this is just an example how modern society, despite so much education, they're making a fool of you. All this advertising is just to make you a fool. That's all. Buy this. Buy this beer. But what is the value of drinking beer? You'll think, well, that's our culture. What culture? You drink it you become drunk and you urinate in the street and talk all nonsense. So what is the value? There's no food value. It's simply you get a big belly like this. You have to spend money to, be, to make a fool of yourself. So uh, they're promoting so many things. You'll see just now, in Eastern Europe, all these countries have opened up to the Western way of life. And what are the first companies that come? McDonald's, Coca-Cola. What is the benefit Coca-Cola, how can they sell Coca-Cola? If, if there was no advertising, would ever anybody buy Coca-Cola? Never. 
Because what is it? It's just some water with chemicals and bubbles and sugar. But they promote it, that you drink it and there's all young people smiling and laughing. So they're making an idiot out of you. They're making a fool. They're diverting people's Despite so much education, they're promoting smoke this, drink this, watch a football game, go to see Michael Jackson jumping around. Where's the intelligence? What is, where is the developed inter- intelligence? So much intelligence. You see, to show this football game, they have, now they have this digital TV coming. And so much intelligence is required. They put a satellite in space so that you can see the live game of football from the other side of the world. So, so much intelligence is used when the end result is you watch a group of men running around after a football. So it's misplaced intelligence. Actually, with the development of education, they should have come to the point of asking these questions. But philosophy is that there's less philosophy in the world than at any time in known history, at least the history they know about. We know about history from the Vedic literature. We know about history going back millions of years. But according to them, human civilization only began about 3,000 years ago. So we see that previously there were philosophers, but now where are the philosophers nowadays? Nowadays, if someone is a rock star, means he's expert at screaming and jumping around and twanging on a guitar, then they, they, they take him as a philosopher, isn't it? They, are, they think, what is your opinion? They think he must be a great philosopher because he's expert in jumping around. And, but uh, what is the actual... Hmm? Rock stars, they, the people ask their opinion. They're supposed to, they're, they're taken as philosophers. Because they sing songs like, She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. And all you need is love. And so this is considered, just see the condition of the world. This is considered philosophy. These people are considered philosophers. But actual philosophy means we should be very peaceful thoughtful, introspective, and we should uh, consider what are the actual problems of life. Just like here in Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna states, Janma, Mrityu, Jaravyati, Dukadoshanudarshanam. Actual knowledge means at least we should see there is birth, death, old age and disease. Modern society covers this over. They want to hide it away. They don't want to talk about death, all the old people are put away in homes so you can't see them because you, they don't want to see. And lipstick and makeup and, and fashions. In California, there are so many old people, they dress up just like young people with tight jeans and the women have tight jeans and they have, they have operations, their breasts already fell down and they bring them up. This, uh, this Ronald Reagan... He was, uh, he was like 70 years old when he was the president. But he looked younger and his wife looked much younger. Why? Because every two years she was going to have this operate. Pull your skin up. And then within two years it all falls down. They want to cover the fact that their body is rotting. This wrinkles means inside everything is rotting. And you're going towards death. But they want to cover it up. 
and show we're still young. You see, 50-year-old men, they like to go running. That's all right, but uh, you have to recognize within 20 years, maybe, or maybe less, that you won't be running anymore. You won't even be walking. You'll be lying. Two meters under the ground. Not you, that's the point. That is not you. You are not the body. Why are you trying to keep the body so fit? All right, keep it fit. We're not against that. But actually, who are you? What is the purpose of life? You're going to die soon. Even if you're ten years old, you're also going to die soon. Even if you live to be a hundred years old, you're going to die soon. Because fifty years, a hundred years is not very much time. I remember when I was a child, I used to think, and then I was ten years old, I was thinking, I can't imagine what it's like to be forty because when I was 10, my father was 40. How could anyone be so old? I mean, I already lived 10 years, and it seems like a tremendous length of time. I can't even imagine being 20. I mean, I lived 10 years already, and it seems such a long time. And now I realize that, you know, and now I'm 40, and I probably won't see another 40 years out of these eyes, and years are going past like that. So why don't we consider that what happens at death? And people think, well, why, why are you asking such questions? Just enjoy while you can. This is foolishness. Just like the goats. Do you have goats here? In the, I would think in the mountain areas. You have many goats here? Is it? In India there are a lot of goats. So they get taken to slaughter. And they realize now we're going to be slaughtered. So what do they do? They immediately engage in sex life. Enjoy now while you can, because tomorrow, you, not tomorrow, in five minutes your throat will be cut. So this is our modern civilization, goat civilization. Just don't think about death, don't think about anything nasty, enjoy while you can. But that is foolishness, because we have to suffer, we have to die. The intelligent question should be, why? Why do we have to suffer? Why do we have to suffer death? I don't want to die. Why do I have to die? I don't want to grow old. Why do I have to grow old? I don't want to suffer in any way. But there are so many sufferings. There are so many anxieties. Why? So we're trying to cover that up. But hey, don't ask that question. Drink a glass of beer. Hey, watch the football game. Hey, what's on TV? We have 60 channels now. There must be something you can watch. There must be something interesting. So in this way our attention is diverted. But what is the actual question that we should consider? That is why the more intelligent people are coming to Krishna consciousness because they're answering the questions. They're answering the intelligent questions. These are the really intelligent questions. And getting the answers. In Bhagavad Gita, the answer is given. That we are dying, yes, but we're not dying. Only the body is dying. Nahanyate hanyamane sharire. When the body dies, the soul does not die. Because the nature of the soul is ajo, nitya, shashvata, ayang, purana. It is eternal, ever-existing. It is not born when the body is born, nor does it die when the body dies. It's only because we are identifying with this body, because we think, I am Austrian, I am American. Therefore, we identify with this body, we identify with the pains and pleasures of this body. But a self-realized person understands, I am not this body. I am the soul within the body. And the soul is eternal 
but we are transmigrating from body to body because we are trying to enjoy these bodies. But from Bhagavad Gita, and even with a little intelligence ourselves, we can understand where is the enjoyment? Where is the enjoyment in material life? What is the happiness? What is the highest happiness you can imagine in the material world? Different people might give different answers. Maybe I'd like to marry that film star, or I'd like to uh, have a lot of money. But you see, people who get a lot of money, do they become happy? Is it that just by getting a lot of money you become happy? In India a few years ago, one of the most famous film actresses, she got married. Then within about two months her husband committed suicide. So was he made happy by that? He became miserable. Marilyn Monroe, who could be more happy than her? She was beautiful, famous, wealthy, knew all the biggest people. In, in She was a great celebrity. What happened to her? Was she happy? She committed suicide. She wasn't happy. So it's a great myth. Actually, everyone knows that money doesn't bring you happiness. Everyone, if you speak to people, they'll say, yes, yes. But at the same time, they don't know anything else than to try to get happiness like that. Or other people, they're not so mad after money. They're, okay, I'll just live in my home. and I'll be happy with my family and my dog and my cat. and you know, Live a simple life. Not, not too many desires. But they're also not happy. They may, they may uh, not be as feverishly full of anxieties as the business magnate who's always trying to increase his business. But there, how can you be happy, with, even with a so-called peaceful life in this material world, when you have to die? You may say, let us live in peace. But there's no living in peace, because you'll be kicked out. You can't stay in that house. You may think, I'm living very peacefully in a nice small town in Austria. Everything's very nice. But you can't stay. You have to leave that body. And where will you go next? You don't know. But what you do know is that, again, there will be birth, death, old age and disease. Continued suffering. So this knowledge which is given in Bhagavad Gita, that teaches us how to get free from birth and death. This is the most important knowledge. Without that, all the advancement of education and advancement of modern civilization it is all just like the decoration on a dead body. In some cultures, when someone dies, they decorate the body. They dress him up nicely and everyone comes to pay their what they call their last respects. Well, who is there to receive the last respects? He'll say, oh, we loved you so much. But he's not going to talk back to you. There's only a kadava, dead body. So, we should think about these things. Without, without discussing these things, modern civilization remains foolish. It's a society of highly decorated fools. It means they have cars, PhDs, enough money in the bank. But what is the actual meaning of life? Neither do they know, nor do they even start to want to know. If you ask them questions, they say, ah, we're not concerned with that. I live happily now. Goat philosophy. Foolish. So Krishna consciousness means to become intelligent on the really intelligent platform. We don't consider getting an MSC. That's not actual intelligence. That it means, of course, there is some intelligence there. But it's misdirected intelligence because you're not applying your intelligence to understand the proper questions. People don't even know what the proper question is, let alone the answer. 
But in Krishna consciousness here we have proper question. What is the goal of life? What is the nature of life? Who is God? What is our relationship with Him? How to act in that relationship? So that question is asked and the answer is given. Everything is given here in Bhagavad Gita to understand who is God, what is our relationship with Him. And by understanding that, what is the result? One practically experiences self-realization. What does that mean, practically realizes self-realization? That means that test is there that he no longer acts for the benefit of the body. In Krishna consciousness, of course, we eat to maintain the body. Bodily maintenance is there. But we're not trying to be happy on the bodily platform. We use these bodies in Krishna's service. And the result is, susukam kartanavyayam. Naturally, we become happy by executing Krishna consciousness because this is the activity of the soul. The activity of the soul is to serve God. How to serve God, that is also given. That means we have to know what God wants, how He wants to be served. All information is given here. Therefore, by acting in that relationship, which is our natural relationship with God, who is the reservoir of all pleasure, then we also become happy. Krishna consciousness, even though it's the highest knowledge, it's very simple to understand. That we are not this body, we are eternal spirit soul. We are suffering in this material world because we are denying our relationship with Krishna, who is the Supreme Personality of Godhead and the reservoir of all happiness. Therefore, if we simply connect with Krishna by serving Him, by the bhakti yoga process, the yoga of devotion to Him, which is also very simple, by chanting His names, by discussing the philosophy given by Him in Bhagavad Gita, by seeing His beautiful form, the deity form, by offering Him food, by taking by eating food offered to him only. By this process, we naturally become blissful. That is the sign of a Krishna conscious person. That is the sign of a self-realized person. Brahma bhuta prasanatma na shochati na kangshati samasarveshu bhuteshu madbhaktim labhate param One who comes to the spiritual platform naturally becomes happy because our nature as spirit soul is that we are happy. Everyone is looking for happiness because it is our nature to be happy. But we're looking in the wrong place. There's no happiness in material life. There's no happiness in trying to mollify the body. There is happiness by understanding Krishna. So a devotee of Krishna, because he comes to the spiritual platform of happiness, then na shochati na kangshati. He neither hankers nor laments. Everyone in this material world is desiring, oh, if only I had a million dollars, then I would be happy. And if you get a million dollars, oh, if I had another million dollars, then I would be happy. In this way, material desires, they go on endlessly. But a Krishna conscious person, he realizes that it's useless even to desire like this because whatever I get, I will get by the desire of God. I may get a million dollars or I may have nothing. That's God's wish. But anyway, my business is to serve Him. And Nashochati, he doesn't lament. In this material world, there may be so many difficulties. But devotee knows, all right, that's the nature of the material world. Today it's too cold. Another day it's too hot. I have some pain in my back. What to do? That is the material world. A devotee does not lament. In this way, he is fixed on the spiritual platform and he comes to the pure platform of Krishna consciousness. So in this life even, devotees are 
living a life of happiness and knowledge because they know what is their relationship with Krishna and because they cultivate this consciousness of Krishna. Krishna conscious means to be conscious that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. We are his servants. Because they cultivate this, therefore at the time of death, they no longer have to be reborn into this material world, but they go to the spiritual world to serve Krishna in transcendental bliss eternally. This is the highest knowledge that is being taught in Krishna consciousness. So if there's any question, I'd like to take it. I don't have much time because I have to go. I'd like to stay more time. I'd like to stay here many days. But I have to move on. Does anybody have any question, please? Are there no questions? No? That means everyone's convinced. You don't doubt anything we say? No doubts? You believe you agree with everything we say, is it? Well, if that's a fact then you should take it up. Everyone should chant Hare Krishna and be happy. No more doubts, no more material life. Just get into it. Chant Hare Krishna and be happy. This is the highest knowledge. In Krishna consciousness, being unhappy is against the rules. You have to chant Hare Krishna and be happy. And if you chant Hare Krishna, you can't be unhappy. We, we, uh, we challenge anyone that you come and chant with us and dance and try to be unhappy. And when you're finished chanting and dancing, we'll put some gulabjamans in your mouth. Prasad. Offered to Krishna. So you can try if you like. It's not possible to be unhappy. There's only happiness. The only unhappiness of a devotee is seeing people wasting their lives without Krishna consciousness.